Welcome back, great filter listeners. Um, we're excited to have you if you're listening to our second episode and you listen to our first. But if you didn't, we are basically a podcast that talks about early stage startups and their prospects for succeeding or failing. And last time we talked about a fake startup from a movie, which was, I, in my humble opinion, super entertaining, and I think you should go back and listen to it. But this time we're going to talk about not just sort of a startup, but a new type of startup. And to sort of introduce this topic more generally, we're going to talk about something very interesting that happened on the internet in the last couple of weeks. And what that was, was I think, and I, you know, it's hard to know exactly, but I think the greatest computer-only heist in world history. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. At least $50 million worth of virtual goods were stolen yeah. by, we believe, one person. Possibly or, one attacker. Yeah, or a small group of people. So basically the Ocean's Eleven of internet heists happened this week. And for those of you who follow tech news maybe a little more closely, you may have heard of this as the DAO hack. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about what a DAO is and how it got hacked and how this person stole all this money. And then, in terms of the great filter, we're going to talk about the concept of a DAO, which we think is an interesting new type of startup. You want to cut in, James, or something? No, that sounds great. I think uh, what uh, you know, whether a DAO is a useful type of startup uh, for the future. Yeah. And so for those of you who are like, hold on a second, what, is, a what is a DAO? Yeah. What are we even talking about yeah. here? We're going to try to sort of build this up from first principles. Right. Okay. And first principles are what is a cryptocurrency? Because this DAO that this person stole all this money on, uh, they stole basically virtual cryptocurrency. So what is cryptocurrency? The one you have probably heard of, if you have heard of just one, is called Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is basically sort of a giant network of bank accounts on the internet, right? That's a simplified analogy. I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. But it's basically a giant anonymous network of bank accounts on the internet. And you can transfer funds between them. And it's cool because the funds you transfer between them are virtual and anonymous and can be transferred very quickly. So. Yeah, I think one of the key aspects is like it's, you know, there's no third party. There doesn't have to be a bank in between me sending you right. money through Bitcoin. Right? Yeah, and so yeah. one application that people are using a lot already is they're actually using Bitcoin as their currency in countries where there's massive hyperinflation or they don't trust the banking system or there's huge controls on cross-border transactions. So Bitcoin's really cool. I mean, we could have a whole podcast right. about just Bitcoin, but we're instead gonna we're going to move on to something yeah. way more complicated. Yeah, so if that was confusing, wait for this. <laughs> yeah, go read the Wikipedia yeah. about Bitcoin for 15 minutes. Um, okay. So we're going to move on to something even more sort of elaborate and interesting than Bitcoin. And that is another sort of type of cryptocurrency on the internet. And that is called Ethereum, spelled E-T-H-E-R-E-U-M, Ether-E-M. And Ethereum takes a lot of what Bitcoin does. It works similarly in many ways and adds a lot of other stuff you can, you, can do. you can do. So it's not just a network of bank accounts. There's about a million other things you can do, but we're going to focus on a pretty narrow aspect of those today because that helps us get to this giant heist we want to talk right. about, and that is financial contracts. So basically, instead of just having a network of bank accounts like Bitcoin, Ethereum also has sort of 
at a very native fundamental level, the ability to write contracts between two parties that exchange money using just computer code. So no, no lawyers, no pieces of paper, no, you know, I don't know, official banks verifying everything. So you want to go into the contract thing a little more? Yeah, I mean, that's a a good uh, way to think about it. Um, So, you know, you and I, a good good contract example in the real world is like a will. Um, Okay, interesting. Everyone... (laughs) Very morbid contract. Nice nice way to kick it off there, James. Uh, (laughs) uh, We've got a a morbid podcast here. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's true. A lot of that. Uh, Um, (laughs) But... um, Basically, a will um, in the real world specifies uh, where your assets will go when you die. Um, And, you know, you could allocate them to different parties like let's just let's just say your cash on hand just to make it super simple so just your just just your checking account your checking account where will that go um now yeah you know you could specify that in a will um but actually when you die you know maybe there's like a bunch of litigation where like you know (laughs) someone thinks that there was an additional copy of the will or like this was a plot of like yeah one tenth of all movies ever made basically right exactly so you've seen this in Hollywood, they're like, you know, plenty of things can actually go wrong with the will. Um, and you have to get lawyers involved and decide how to allocate out this money. But if you were like a super nerd about to die, <laughs> you use, you're on your deathbed and you're a massive computer <laughs> yeah, nerd. You could use Ethereum and instead just have your money kind of instantly transfer to exactly the person that you want to. Um, you know, your assets to go to. So, you know, whatever assets you have, you could put them into Ethereum and sort of make your will on Ethereum and it would execute um, okay. as soon as you die. So you'd have to have some some way to say, like, for the Ethereum network to know that you died. Yeah, so how would you verify... And that's a good question. For um, this giant code in the sky to verify that I was you could, dead. You could imagine a whole company coming up with ways to, uh, you know provide that service to like be the valid you know max <laughs> verifying that people yeah, are yeah, dead exactly. so even though the contract itself the will right. is is written in computer code instead right. of in a legal contract there there still are people involved and there's hooks into the real world in some ways yeah yeah so there there is always sort of this touch touch of the real world in these Yeah, so let's take another example, which maybe you wouldn't even think of as a contract necessarily, but it is kind of. It's like a a bet. Okay. A sports bet, right? A sports bet. Yeah. Between Um, you and me. So we're betting on uh, the NBA Finals game that just happened, and... um, Yeah. Yeah, man. (laughs) I don't want to think about that. (laughs) Max doesn't want to bring that up, but... um, Let's say he wants to bet that the Warriors will win and uh, bet me $20. We could just have a bet that we exchange, you know, and we agree, like, okay, this, if this happens, he'll pay me $20, as they did, they lost. So, um, now, he could get, you know, he, he could fall <laughs> off the map or something I, I and not dis- end up paying me. Disappear, right, I don't or just play. refuse to pay me. Um, so, obviously, there are, you know, ways around that. There's, like, you know professional bookies but (laughs) if we were using ethereum we could just decide that you know the associated press if they publish an article that you know has the phrase in it like warriors win the nba finals like the uh, max's funds would automatically transfer to me but warriors lose i think would be yeah yeah, 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 yeah yeah okay so you're saying basically this contract that's defined in computer yeah. code basically could automatically pull from the Associated Press website yeah. and 
determine the outcome of the bet and then transfer the money between us automatically. Yeah, I really think a key thing here, if you're going to learn to remember anything about Ethereum, is basically that like once it's written in a contract on Ethereum, it happens as specified in the contract. In the contract. Right. Unlike the real world contracts where you get lawyers involved. Interpretation. Interpretation of the English language comes into play. Right. And so what's interesting is you, you mentioned that earlier Associated Press language. Like, it's possible that the Associated Press would write like... Like, opposite day, Warriors win, or something, and then yeah, the contract would say, oh, okay, well, the Warriors won, and transfer the money well, Yeah, they, they, their headline could be, like, Warriors, you know, or, like, Cavaliers complete epic comeback, but, like, maybe the word win is never in there or something, and, like, because we coded the contract incorrectly to only include the word win, you know, it just... Yeah, it doesn't execute. It doesn't actually execute correctly. Right. So, like in real life, like with real contracts... There are a lot of ways to make mistakes. Yes. And unlike real contracts, there's basically no dispute resolution right. system at this point. There's no, so, there's no interpretation. Right. There's no interpretation, and if the contract screws up, tough luck for so, everyone. So a lot of people actually like this and consider this like a feature to some right. degree because right. they, you know, it's a lot cheaper, maybe more efficient to not have to get the courts involved. Get um, the interpretation yeah. aspect involved. Yeah. But as we have noted, I think somewhat foreshadowing <laughs> ominously, yeah. there are ways to make mistakes with these contracts. Exactly. And because they are irrevocably enshrined in computer code, they they execute automatically in ways you might not expect. Okay, so I think we have a pretty decent understanding, possibly, uh, if you're uh, yeah. still, uh, about <laughs> Ethereum contracts. Right. Um, so the, probably the most highly publicized uh, use case of this was something called the DAO. Right. And so the DAO, the D-A-O acronym stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Um, and just to make one clarification point up front, a DAO is a concept, a sort of type of organization that you can have on the internet. And the guys who sort of helped invent the concept of a DAO decided to name the first DAO the, the DAO. The DAO. And so if you're confused between a DAO and the DAO, the DAO is one DAO. It is the first one. <laughs> the first one. ever. The DAO. first ever one. Okay. So to get into what a DAO is, we're talking about financial contracts. It's basically a pretty complicated financial contract on yeah. the Ethereum network. And it is kind of like an organization. They have the word organization in, in the name. Right. Yeah. So the way the contract works, and I'm going to try to analogize this to real life and you can tell yeah, me where I'm wrong here, but it's a lot like sort of a giant crowdfunded venture capital fund, right? So basically anyone who wants to on the internet can put their money into this giant pool of money called the DAO, and they all get to vote on what the fund invests in, basically, right? And you get to vote, you know, how many votes you have is basically determined by how much money you invested in this thing, right? So that would be my, like, uber-simplistic version of the DAO contract, basically. The the contracts that define this decentralized autonomous organization. Yeah, I would just add, like, basically you can imagine if we were going to go form a venture capital fund right now, like, there'd be a lot of law and contracts involved. Yeah, right? definitely. Bank so, accounts. Yeah, all kinds of bank accounts, all kinds. So they just did away with all of that and <laughs> made it all computer code. Right. So it's all just computer code yeah. on the internet, and the money people are investing in it is computer code on the yes. internet. It's not... Paper cash backed by the United States government. Right. It is a currency that's completely virtual. Right. And contracts that are completely virtual. Right. An organization that is completely virtual. 
Um, yeah, and uh, you know, basically everyone trusts that they or trusted um, possibly <laughs> beforehand. They trusted, yeah, <laughs> that this would all work. Yeah, because the guys who invented this concept, they you know, they claim to have done security audits of the code, and they uh, published all, all the code is public, so anyone can look at it before investing theoretically. But right. some of the the biggest names in cryptocurrency were all backing this thing. So right. and they said the code was good and the DAO yeah. was going to work perfectly. And um, yeah, so I mean, why would anyone just to step back a sec? Why would anyone want to be part of this like giant crowdfunded uh, venture capital fund? <laughs> Do you have any ideas on that? I mean, uh, I mean, I think they've probably thought they were going to make money on it. Uh, just, yeah. just come back to the basic idea of why you invest in a venture capital fund, right? Um, are you talking more conceptually, or no? I mean, so like, I think yeah, more conceptually. Like, uh, I was somewhat excited. I didn't end up investing, but. Um, you know, it's kind of cool. All of a sudden, like anyone in the world can access venture capital funding, um, and you know instead of me donating money to the venture capital fund and letting some elite team of, you know, venture capitalists decide what to invest in, this would have allowed me to basically vote um, on specific things that I could have invested in. Right, and you could even pitch ideas, basically, to the, the, the venture capital investors, basically, right? You could say, hey, like, I have this great idea for a startup. You guys should all invest in me. You know, here's my proposal. They call right. these proposals for the investment, right? Right, so... Um yeah, like the guys who started this whole concept, like I think part of their motivation was like, oh, we have this proposal. They had a great startup yeah, idea, exactly. Basically, and so they wanted to get a bunch of people together to fund it for them. Um, yeah, so this thing raised 150 million dollars um, in only three weeks or so, which was amazing. Which was a, fascinating. A, a massive overperformance, I think. Like people were not expecting no. it to be anywhere near that big. No. Yeah. Even the creators of the this right. uh, organization. So the creators of the thing kind of had a monster on their hands that maybe they weren't really ready for. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. This was this was the largest crowdfunding uh, campaign of anything of all time in history. In yeah. history. Um, <laughs> Like, more than anything ever on Kickstarter. Yeah. This all yeah. sounds so bad in retrospect. I mean, it's just insane. Okay. Um, so they've got, now this thing is created, and they've got $150 million in their venture capital fund. Right. Um, and they're trying to convince people to invest in their startup idea, basically. Well, so now now that it's it's decentralized, and that means, you know, anyone can submit proposals to this thing, um, anyone can come along with a startup idea that they think the DAO might want to invest in. Yeah. So it's exciting times. Yeah. This probably lasted a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so now Didn't we're going to move into the heist, the heist right. we've been alluding to yeah. this entire, entire so podcast. This, this, you know, this, this joyful moment did not last long. Yeah. Uh, and so I think explaining the heist requires yeah. explaining like one more aspect of the way the DAO right. works. Right. And so now if you've been thinking a little bit about this giant pool of money that's yeah. crowdfunded by people and that, Votes are determined based on how much money you've invested in it. Right. So and every it, dollar you put in gets you another vote on every p proposal to invest in anything. Right. And so you might be thinking, if you're kind of a nefarious yeah. individual, hmm, that sounds kind of interesting. If I have enough money to buy 51% of the DAO votes or tokens, as, as they're called, basically, I can just 
you know, force everyone basically to give me all the rest of the money. Like yeah, I, I can, I, cre- I can create a startup and say, give me all your money. <laughs> and he, he, you would be, if that passed with 51% of the votes, because you control 51% of the votes, you would get all $150 million. Right. So you would get 100% of the yeah. money at just putting up 51%. Right. So this was sort of an obvious attack strategy right. and they built in security against this. And so the way they built in security was, say we get into the situation where I have 51% of the vote, and let's say, just for simplification, James, you have 49%. Yeah. You can basically just leave. Yeah. I can, I can almost as if it's a proposal, just to say that I'm going to take all my money. Right. So you can say, hey, this is screwed up. Max has got 51% of the, <laughs> the money, and he's going to take my 49%. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. I'm splitting off. Right. I'm creating my own new separate venture capital pool. Yeah, of money. and just the nature of the way this was all coded uh, means that the only way I can do that is to basically replicate another version of this venture capital fund that has just me in it now. Right. So it's like almost like a, a cell in biology, yeah. like splitting, splitting in yeah. half, like mitosis, right? Yeah. So they call it a split, right? right. So, so you're going to split off into your own little child. DAO or cell yeah, in this yeah. biology analogy, right. right? And people can do that as much as they want. They could do it with 1% of the DAO and create an, a little tiny 1% child version. Yeah, right? or if there's a block of people who all you know disagree with the direction of the DAO, they could team up and create their right. child DAO. So you basically have yeah. this giant pool of venture capital money and people can split off but, little little percentages as much as right. they want. But the key is that they you know they, it duplicates the existing <laughs> DAO. It's not necessarily like, oh, I just get my money. Right, yeah. right. You, you're creating another organization. With the exact same code. Right. And yeah. there's all these sort of checks and balances in place. It's very slow process yeah, right. to split. And it's very slow to get your money out of something that splits off of Correct. it. Correct. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, good lead-in. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the hack. Do you yeah. want to take a shot at explaining uh, this? Sure. Um, so, I got a notification on Slack, um, <laughs> like on my iPad um, at midnight uh, a couple days ago, being like, this is not a drill. Like, the DAO is under attack. <laughs> fire drill. Yeah. Not um, a fire drill. And, oh, man. Um, Too good. Too funny. <laughs> yeah. And basically what was happening was, all of a sudden, people started noticing that someone was draining money from the DAO into a separate DAO by calling the split kind of function that you know that was supposed to be there, but was just not working as intended because this attacker, this hacker, could basically figure out a way to call it many, many times, way more times than the amount of votes they had in the DAO right. would have allowed. So basically they were able to, if I'm, if I'm getting this right, they were able to call this sort of like split, right? Yes. But they were able to call it over and over and over and over in rapid succession. Right. And basically siphon other people's money <laughs> out of the main pool of money right. as they were doing this. Because this is, to be clear, a computer bug. This yes. was a mistake. This yes. is not the way splits were supposed right. to work. You were only basically supposed to be able to split with your money, right? With your votes or whatever you want to right. call them, right? So he was able to split not only with his money, but because he was able to, via a bug, call the split thing over and over and over again really fast, right. take a bunch of other people's money. And ended up draining over the period of a few hours uh, a third of the money in the DAO. A third so, of all the money. Yeah, so... At, <laughs> which would have been valued at, say, $77 million, um, but ended up 
causing a whole crash of the cryptocurrency. Uh, so it ended up being around 40 or $50 million that he was able, or she, was able to siphon into their separate um, child, child DAO. Child DAO. Um, yeah, and, this, and the, the attacker is all anonymous, so nobody even knows who it is. Yeah, so it's a pretty amazing story. I mean, to say the least. Yeah. I mean... It's really like kind of like a Icarus story of like we built this amazing thing that lets us fly close to the sun and yeah. and unfortunately the wings melted a little bit. Right. Um, and the whole Ethereum idea is very experimental, so it was probably just not that good of an idea to have this much money all be in one pool. And also such a complicated contract. I mean right. to come back to how, you know, a bet between you and me is a fairly simple contract yeah. or a will, let's say. Even though it has complicated elements, as we were talking about. Right. A giant autonomous organization. That, like, defines how anyone can vote. I mean, it's basically, it's fairly analogous to, like, a public equity corporation or, like we were saying, a venture capital fund. Those are really complicated organizations. Right. Yeah. And so, it was a very bold, I mean, impressive, really, intellectually just in terms of marshalling people, it was a really impressive effort, honestly. I what, mean, the hack? The, well, the, the DAO, I think. <laughs> oh, okay, the DAO. The DAO, Not, yeah. And the hack, I mean, yeah. The hack, also, also very, like, very intellectually impressive. Exploitation. Because the hacker had to sort of study the code and find this exploit. Right. Because it was all public. So, to come back to kind of the point of the Great Filter. Yeah. I mean, if we have more questions, we could talk about them. But the point of the Great Filter, right, is about, like, whether or not a startup idea is a good idea or a bad idea, right? Yeah. So, sort of. Or at least whether it will succeed or fail. Right. Now, the question I, I don't think is whether or not the DAO will succeed or fail, because I think we can say pretty safely that the DAO failed. The DAO is pretty much dead. There is a question of like whether this attacker will be able to get their money out, actually, and complete the heist, or you know whether it will be frozen and no one will have access to it, or whether there's all, kind, you know, all kinds of other outcomes, whether the, some sort of reimbursement could happen. But for now... This attacker basically has control. Right. So the more the more interesting question, though, I think for you and me is not so much will the DAO succeed or fail. It's like will the concept of decentralized autonomous organizations or other types of let's say like pools of money that people can vote in certain ways, to, you know, to do things with, will those succeed? Are those a long term? Are yeah. those a long term part of our future? Right. So you and I were super sort of excited about this this DAO, and we had the opportunity to invest. Uh, we chose we, not to. We chose not to. Um, so why, I guess, did you choose not to, and uh, maybe why were you considering investing? Well, the problem is I think it's really easy to say, like, oh, man, I totally knew in retrospect that, like, something bad was going to yeah. happen. I think that's being overly generous to myself. Uh, I think that... Um, I mean, I guess I would say generally I'm a very cautious investor and I try to only invest in things I feel like I have a really deep understanding of. And so when push came to shove and it was like a lot of work to figure out how to invest in this thing, I chose not to. And then the other thing I would say is um, the proposals that people were putting up at like basically the startups that they wanted the DAO to fund. You know, they put prospectuses on the internet of these startups, right, or these ideas. Yeah. And so I read some of the prospectuses because I was kind of interested, like, yeah. what, so what am I, what am I possibly investing in if I put my money in this, in this venture capital fund, right? And, and most of the proposals were for startups that would theoretically help the Ethereum right. world, right? Right. Well, so my problem was much more simplistic than that, which is I read the proposals and I had no fucking clue what, what these things were. Like, I just thought they were really poorly written, organized, like having read a few like legitimate prospectuses, you know, in the financial world, right. or if you read an SEC 10K report or something, you know, whatever, something with a very formal structure in the business world. I just found these proposals to be 
Poorly written. Very confusing and poorly written and, like, just super unclear where the money was going to go, what the growth strategy was. Like, all these really, like, basic business questions. And so that also kind of scared me away a little bit because especially the number one proposal, the most popular one, I thought was really bad. And so I was like, if this is the most popular thing that people are possibly going to invest in with their money in this Dow venture capital fund, I'm going to stay away. Um, but also laziness probably just contributed. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what about you? You're much more into this stuff even. Well, I mean, I think, uh, like you said, like, you know, being conservative, the main reason, um, I didn't invest was like, I just, it felt like, uh, <laughs> like there was a lot of risk involved. I mean, like, <laughs> like fairly 150 million were the people. And, and I guess, I guess if I'm being like more honest and not saying like I understood what was going to happen. Cause I definitely did not. No, I did not either yeah. to be clear. Yeah. Cause the, basically the, the, uh, the Dow creators were basically all, you know, uh, assuring everyone that this was like audited code and like there was no, you know, real bugs and like everyone, in the world, in the Ethereum world, it was like vouching for this thing. So I was, I was, I guess, thinking it was pretty safe. But I just felt like my small investment, whatever, once the fund size got to like 150 million, and I would be like putting in a couple hundred dollars and, you know, having, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, no power. Having no power whatsoever to affect it. So I just felt it was kind of a pointless thing. I mean, um, I, I think, yeah, maybe I'm much more interested in the concept than this particular DAO just because I felt like my my possible investment would would not be sort of um, you know meaningful right so we think so to come back to the more general question like we actually do think DAOs or something like it are part of the future right like we think that like these sort of decentralized crowdfunded pools of money maybe they won't work exactly the same way as this one was definitely they will not have the exact same bugs that this right. one did I promise you that but just sort of in concept, I think we think that this idea is really interesting. And it, and it lets you sort of circumvent all these restrictions, for example, in the United States against uh, investing in companies if you're not a, quote, accredited investor by the law, right? Yeah. And while that's scary and dangerous, and this Dow hack is a great example of all the stuff that can go wrong yeah. when you don't have legal protections and contracts and everything. I mean, this is like... It's funny that this is like a signature example of how this shit can all go to hell, basically. And, and why we had the sort of legal system in the first place. Right, and why we have the legal system and like why we have dispute resolution and everything. And yet, nonetheless, you and I being, I don't know, starry-eyed and bushy-tailed come out of this being like, no, man, this is still a great idea. <laughs> I, I, I like this concept of, um, you know, being able to... Um, participate in sort of investment decisions uh, without, you know, necessarily being um, not just accredited, but a, like, you know, a person um, who is connected into, you know, like, existing venture capital networks and firms. Right. Like, it's very hard for me to ever invest in a startup. Um, and then this is like a kind of a very meritocratic or at least completely open fund for the first time ever that anyone could join. Yeah. And, and the idea that anyone could submit a proposal, you know, like how hard it is, is it for any startup founder to go and set up a bunch of pitch meetings, right? Oh, um, God. Yeah. We've, we've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> so this thing was like, no, nah, like anyone can submit a proposal, anyone in the world, and like we'll evaluate it on its merits. Yeah, I mean, maybe much smaller scale DAOs, you know, once they figure out the bugs will happen. I mean, maybe you and me and, you know, f four friends from college could 
put, you know, $10,000 together or something and, you know, invest in things we find interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, you could imagine, I'm just kind of uh, thinking out loud here, like, a, a you, our friends from college, the 10 of us decide we want to invest in real estate, like a few buildings a year or something. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if we have real estate. No, we don't have any, any money, interest in real estate money or right knowledge now. or funds. But, <laughs> or funds, yeah. But theoretically. Sure. You know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we could, We that probably wouldn't happen today because it would just be a huge pain for us to set up that organization. Yeah. Um, and, right. like, hire all the lawyers. And Yeah. Uh, whereas maybe if there's, like, a standardized real estate investing DAO that we can just kind of copy. Right. We could just get it set up tomorrow and like, it just works. One, one idea I think you and I have talked about a little bit, you know, being the crazy startup founders of our group of friends, we've always sort of, you know, in the back of our minds, wish that more of our friends had come, you know, tried to be crazy startup founders like us. And we've talked a little bit about like coming out of college. What if there were some way, some sort of security, basically, where we could all agree to like share some percentage of everyone's income in the group, basically. So we'd all say, hey, we're going to give 10% of our income for the next 50 years to this crowdfunded pool. And we'll divide that evenly, basically. And if our income, you know, were in Ethereum, and if this security were written in a smart, you know, code contract, this would all happen automatically. And currently, I think that's probably illegal, and maybe it always will be, I don't know. But it's interesting, this idea, right, that you can have these automatically executing contracts of completely new types. Yeah, I mean, what do you, you've said in the past, I think, like, uh, you know, the, this concept of a corporation has existed for a long time and hasn't really changed it, changed that much. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the Dow is it, it is a lot like a corporation. It's people put in a bunch of money and they, you know, they vote on things, they vote on proposals for what the, the group of people are going to do. Now it's a, it's a lot more direct democracy than a corporation, right? I mean, I own shares of Apple, but I don't get to like decide what, whether or not the new iPhone is going to be, you know, have a headphone jack or not. Uh, but, like, you know, you could see a world, right, where there's a direct democracy type of corporation, basically. But you could also see a version of the Dow that is a lot closer to a public market equity corporation where a very small number of people decide what, what where the pool of money goes, right? Yeah, like, this is probably the simplest version of it. Like, every dollar you spend gets you another vote on everything. But you could imagine a DAO um, where you're maybe electing decision makers. Right. Um, maybe yeah. you're, yeah, I mean, we were sort of joking, like, the simplest, <laughs> the simplest version would be like a monarchy. Yeah. Where you elect a single decision maker, and then you can oust them with a 51% vote if right. you want to. But there's a lot more. And a lot, a lot of people are talking about, like, different, you know, why does it have to be one, I get one vote for one dollar spent, um, you know, I maybe there's uh, different proposals, like, you know, um, as I try to buy more shares in the Dow, like, they start to cost more for me. Right. Uh, so And so that mitigates, basically, the effect that any one person has on the, the direction yeah, of, so, of the Dow. So, so that's even, like, more democratic, almost. Yeah, it's almost more democratic. Like, you know, if you're a whale, like, you know, as, as you try to... Uh, buy up more and more shares of this thing, um, you know, you get exponentially, you have to spend exponentially more money for each share. So it prevents you from having too much power. Yeah. I mean, so I think like, I don't know how much deeper into this we want to go, but we're very excited about all these, basically once contracts can be enshrined in code, right, can be defined in code, the, I think you can say, you know, 
the example of the internet shows that once you give people the tools to build things in software that they could never do before, they'll do a billion things you never thought of, right? I mean, like, yeah. the, there are so many things, right, on the internet that I think when people were coming up with the internet, they never would have predicted, right? right? And so I think we're really at that very, very nascent stage for stuff like the DAO, stuff like smart contracts, stuff like Ethereum in general, and maybe Bitcoin as well, where, like, there's just a shitload of stuff you could do with these things. And even just in the contract space, there's all these contracts you could make up, basically, that were never possible or legally enforceable in the past. So I think, like, we're, we're at the very beginning of this, like, Cambrian explosion of, I don't know, contracts, I mean, computing, I don't know. There's, there's too much stuff you can yeah. go into on this. But, like, we're, I think we're very excited about the future in this area. Yeah, so, um, you know... Probably not every startup uh, should be a DAO. Maybe nobody should be a DAO right now because <laughs> probably needs some work. The, the sheen is off a little yeah, bit. I mean, yeah. I, I just think like nobody's going to want to start a DAO uh, for a while, at least until there's like a lot of a lot more code checking. Yeah. Right. Well, um, yeah. Just to come back. One more interesting yeah. thing about this current DAO was, you know, unlike a venture capital firm fund where you only make money when the company you know sells to someone else or goes out on the public markets, right? This, the first proposal, the one I was kind of dissing in its prospectus, but it had some interesting parts. And it was basically the venture capital fund, the DAO, was trying to fund a company and they would basically collect, I think, a percentage of the revenues of that company automatically. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You you could basically, um, you know, in your contracts with the companies that you're investing in, you know, have automatic payments, um, maybe from the product that the company sells, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. So, So, yeah, I mean, instead of a venture capital fund waiting for someone to go public to make any money back, they're, they just get like 5% of the revenues, just, for, you know, just kick back to them automatically. Yeah, it just executes like every other contract on. Yeah. Ethereum. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting yeah. and exciting. And I think that's just like a tiny example of all the crazy shit that's going to go down yeah. on top of this whole framework. And I think, you know, on our, maybe not on the next podcast, but on a future podcast, we want to talk about another kind of Ethereum application that we're really excited about. Yeah which is Augur, which are prediction markets. So it's yeah. basically, instead of just being able to bet on sports games and the presidential elections, you can bet on literally anything in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, close to my heart. I love Augur, so we'll talk about that on another podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll save, we'll save Augur for next time. But yeah, if you have any questions about the Dow, you can hit us up and we'll try to answer them. Yeah. We did our best to try to keep the explanation close to home, but... Obviously, we're very excited about the stuff, and the hack was such a crazy event that we uh, we had to get into it. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks so much, guys, and uh, hope to hope you'll listen next time as well.